Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. Back to the $5 gas. How is that going to impact the black community? So I think it's going to hurt the black community uh, a lot. You know, it's it's interesting. I don't know where it's going to top out. I think, you know, if you if you break down the inflation that we currently have. For us good Democrats, man, going into midterm election with inflation and $5 a gallon gas, we're going to take a beating, man. We're going to take a beating at the polls. Oh, yeah. What say you, my friend? on assault-style weapons. What's going to happen next week? Who's going to get shot? Where is it going to happen? The common ground there is that we both are black males trying to make a difference, and he's making a difference, and I believe I'm making a difference. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black, and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God, just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black the, people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, not Bill? Not one. Come not on, Bill. One. You got to have one a nope. token black person. A token and there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. Public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you just saying thank you for all your many blessings. God, when we look around and we read the morning headlines in the newspapers or view the morning uh, trailers on TV or listen to the morning radio or even our news feeds or Facebook and all the different places we're getting our information. We just see headlines, whether it's $5 gas or shootings or inflation or Ukraine. God, just help us continue to keep our eyes on you, to keep our ears open to your word and to let our mouths continue to say what thus said the Lord. God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, there's been turmoil in our world since sin came in. it, And uh, it's at different levels. Sometimes we have a world war. Sometimes we have regional. Sometimes we have killings. Sometimes we have economic issues, social issues. And uh, they continue on to this day. And uh, when we see them, they seem insurmountable, that there's no way we can get this back on track, that we're going down, that we're going down a bad path. Lord, we know the path that you've set and we're on it and uh, you're in control and we trust you and love you and put our faith in you. Amen. Amen. Bill. Yes, I drive an SUV. I drive a big old expedition. It's projected that it's going to cost me about $140 to fill my tank up with gas. $5 a gallon gas bill. 
$5 a gallon? Yes, it's coming. It's already in diesel. Diesel, the per truck drivers are getting $5 a gallon and where they get four or five miles to the gallon. So it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, you know, the, you, you wonder what causes the price to go up and, you know, you hear all kinds of things. It's the market and it's Ukraine and it's this and it's that, um, you know, I don't, I don't know enough about the oil industry, but I do know that we need to be energy independent and actually an energy exporter. We're probably 10 years away, maybe 20, before we have electric cars where they're commonplace. The infrastructure for batteries, charging is in place. So we've got to bridge that with something. And I think cutting out the pipeline and, and stopping some of the drilling on the federal lands, I get it. I understand. But we're going to, if, if we don't do those things, it, $5 may seem cheap in five years. You know, in Europe, price of gas is way up beyond $5. And we've always had an artificially low price of fuel. You know, what's the lowest price you ever remember growing up? Oh, man, 80, no, about 50-something cent a gallon. Yeah. When I was uh, a junior in college, a, a buddy of mine, uh, I bought an old Ford Econoline, like the, uh, but a small one. It's before minivans. And this thing was a rust bucket in Parma, but I got it for cheap. I think I got it for 800 bucks. And I would go over every night to the firehouse where my dad worked. And those guys were mechanics. And uh, they taught me how to you know, work on the engine, to rebuild things, put new brakes on it, new shocks. We did all that. And uh, so we kind of rebuilt this with the idea that I was going to drop out for a quarter for a semester, I think. And drive down, and I, I hadn't left Cleveland, Parma very much, uh, but I'd never been to Florida. We were going to drive to Florida and see a, uh, an Apollo launch and then drive across U Highway 10 across the United States because it was wintertime when we did this. And uh, so I remember we worked on that and the thing had rust on it. I had a buddy that knew how to fix rust and we did it. And uh, then it came down to this thing needed being to paint it, needed to be painted. And this is a long story to tell you about gas, but so, uh -huh. so when you have no money and you got to paint a minivan, it was, it had windows on and stuff. What do you do when you're, you're a college kid and you don't have hardly any money? Well, you go to uh, the store and you buy Rust-Oleum and a roller and a brush. Okay. And I taped it and I, it, I painted it red, white, and blue. It had a, had a red top white bottom and a blue stripe and it was all rust-oleum so the thing never rusted and you know if you're about 500 feet away the thing looked great <laughs> you didn't want to get up close because there were runs and stuff but it worked i mean i kept that thing for a number of years but when we traveled we had the budget for fuel and fuel wasn't a big deal then uh, uh and i can remember uh we we paid the cheapest we paid was in texas we paid 10 cents a gallon wow and, and I don't think we, we never got to 80 cents on the whole trip. Wow. Yeah. The food was the more expensive thing for us because we were, you know, college boys eating. Uh, but fuel wasn't the issue. Uh, you know, I tell you a funny story about fuel. You know, I, my Aunt Jerry gave me a car when I was 16. It was a 1956 bright green Buick Special, two-door. Okay. And uh, 
And so I had that when I get with turn, turned 16. Well, this thing in Parma, in, in Ohio, they use salt on the road. And this thing was just, I mean, it, it was so bad that on the floorboard where I s- sat driving, it was rusted yeah. out. So I went and got a, found an old street sign and bolted it in there. That was my floorboard. And, uh, and the back seat was rusted and uh, it was, it, but it ran, it ran. So one day I, I got some extra money. I think I got my income tax check back and I, I've never, I never filled it up. I always put $2 in, which was a plenty for me to get around. And I finally said, you know, I'm going to fill this up. And this was when people would fill up your own gas tank for you. You didn't do it yourself. So I pulled uh-huh. the Shell gas station that I always go to and I tell them, fill it up. I feel proud, man. Bill, Billy's got the, He's going to be, it's going to last me two months and about uh, a minute and a half into the uh, pumping, the guy comes and knocks on my door, my window. And I put it down. I said, yes, sir. He says, you need to get out of the car. I want to show you something. So I said, okay. So I get out of the car and I had heard a noise, but I didn't know what it was. Well, my gas tank had never had a full tank of gas the whole time I had it and the straps were rusted. So when they Uh filled up the gas tank, it fell on the ground. Oh, wow. It was sitting wow. on the ground. And I said, what do we do? And he goes, I don't know. He says, we're going to have to empty it. And then we're going to have to figure out how to put straps up there. But he says, you know, this thing's so rusted. He said, let me put it up on the lift and see what we do. So we pumped it out. We pulled the gas tank over, disconnected it. And he put it up on the lift. And you know what he used for straps? What? Clothes hangers. He, oh, wow. And, he, you know, he put a bunch of clothes hangers. So about every six, eight months, I'd crawl underneath there and put some new clothes hangers because it would, they were starting to rust. But uh, yeah, that's some interesting things, but you know, back to the $5 gas. I, I think it's good. How's that going to impact the black community? I think it's going to impact poor people in a whole nother way. Remember now, a lot of people in urban areas take public transportation. A lot of people who drive, though, are more in the suburbs. So I think gas prices or any form of inflation is going to hurt the most vulnerable big time. So I think it's going to hurt the Black community uh, a lot. I think it's going to be a lot. I think people will do less driving, of course, and more public transportation. But for those who are in rural areas, it's no public transportation because, as you know, we don't have the infrastructure in place like that. Yeah, But Bill, and to your point is when prices go up, gas is one of those things. If you have a job and you're working, you have to pay for gas. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, some people, you're one included, who have a Tesla electric vehicle. And I guess you smile because gas prices doesn't affect you at all, correct? That's right. (laughs) That's for my wife's car. Uh, And we have solar panels on the house, which help offset the cost of electricity in the house. And we, it's cut our electric bill down to times we get 16, $17 bills. Uh, in, wow. the winter, in the summertime, it goes up because we're using a bunch of air conditioners, but um, yeah. And I've got the Tesla truck on order because I needed something that goes 500 miles and then I'm yeah. going to switch over and the Tesla truck will go. When they say 500 miles, that's what they're rating. Uh, usually gets about 80% of that when you're running air conditioning, you're going faster and stuff. So, but still then that's enough time. Cause I drive a lot. Like t- this afternoon, I'm going down to Fayetteville. Well, if I had my wife's electric car and it got 300 miles, I'd have to find a charger down there and sit and charge it for a while. And, and right now 
with electric cars, there's this charging anxiety because there's gas stations on every quarter. There's not right, charging right. stations on every quarter. They, uh, Tesla's got about 7,000 and they spaced them for about every 150 miles, uh, yes. which is great, except if you go out in the rural areas because they're all along the interstates. Uh, so, you know, we've, we've got to get that infrastructure set up to make the electric vehicles uh, much more efficient. I read a book called, uh, when we were going to Israel for the interfaith trip, I read, uh, uh, Walker Sanders recommended a book called uh, Startup Nation. It was about the kind of the, the birthing of Israel and being a startup nation. And they, one of the chapters is about they were going to go all electric with vehicles in the whole country. Now, the country's about uh-huh. the size of New Jersey, so it's not huge. But uh, they were working, I think, with Sweden or Norway on it. And the concept was pretty interesting. Uh, you know, one of the problems with electric car now, you got to sit maybe, depending on how long, how low the battery is, you can get sit up for 45 minutes. So it adds a lot to your trip. And uh, so they came up with a clever way uh, that you would pull into something like a, uh, a, get, uh, a car wash. And they would, you would pull in and in 90 seconds, they would take out your battery and replace it with a fully charged one and send you away in 90 seconds or less. Wow. And you would pay a monthly fee for the service, depending on your usage, kind of like a cell phone, uh, how many, you know, how much you use on your cell phone. And uh, they were getting ready to do that. And then uh, uh, I think COVID hit or something, but it's, but they're still looking at that, which is kind of an interesting concept. Uh, the uh, replacement of batteries uh, like you do with a Duracell or Energizer. It's interesting when you think about that. And, you know, I think of the Jetsons and everything else. Now I've had the pleasure of of riding in that Tesla. And what what style is it build? Because all I know is the kind with the back doors, they come up like a Batman car. What's the what style of uh, Dory's Tesla, that red candy apple red Tesla? What's the it's, style it's, called again? It's a Model X. Model X. What year? Uh, 2017. Okay. And you like it so much that you said you're ordering a truck. What kind of truck are you ordering? It's called the Cybertruck. Uh, it's very, very futuristic looking. Uh, and... Uh, He's making them in Austin, Texas. It's interesting. He was on TV talking about the factory. And most of the truck is made by robots. There's very few wow. people on the plant. And that's by design to keep the cost down. And uh, he said that the future of America uh, for manufacturing is robotics, robots. He said, you know, like we went to China, got it produces a lot of our items. Why do they... Why do we ship it halfway across the world, mm-hmm. you know, to come to us? Well, because of labor cost. Wow. And environmental cost. Well, a robot doesn't cost much once you get it up. It doesn't take a vacation, doesn't take benefits, doesn't worry about environmental issues. It just every day keeps making that same thing over and over and over. He said, once we get to the point that we can do things like that, all of our manufactured goods costs are going to drop significantly because there won't be much labor in it. So, so then the next question begs, what do all these people do if we're not doing manufacturing? Well, some of them well, are going to repair the robots, right? Yeah. Well, think about it. One good thing about human beings, we know how to evolve and how to adapt. We've done that well. We've done that for from the beginning of man. 
Now, the key is when you start talking about all these uh, headlines and current events, so the $5 a gallon gas, you said in the meantime, in between time, uh, the low wealth communities are going to hurt because $5 is $5, $5, and the price of fuel is factored in everything. So the whole thing with inflation, Bill, how high you think inflation is going to get? And for us good Democrats, man, going into midterm election with inflation and $5 a gallon gas, we're going to take a beating, man. We're going to take a beating at the polls. Oh, yeah. You know, I lived through high inflation when that was going on. Uh, and that was, I want to say, 15% inflation. And I was working for a corporation and, uh, you know, they couldn't give you salary increases fast enough to keep up with the inflation. So they would do uh, the government stepped in and they said, no one gets a salary increase. What? Yeah, they stepped in. You see, no salary. Now, companies got around it. You know how they got around it? If you got a promotion to a new job, like say you were a manager and you became a director, you could get more money. So that's how they got around it. They promoted you, uh, but they didn't give you annual increases. You know how you get an annual increase? Like in Social Security, I get Social Security. I get, I think I got 5% this past year, um, which was the most that I've seen in a long time. Uh, but the, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I don't know where it's going to top out. I think, you know, if you if you break down the inflation that we currently have, I, I suspect a large percentage of it is being caused because of the uh, energy cost. Because if you uh-huh. think about it, not only all the trucks got to pay more, right? And all the manufacturers got to pay more for energy. And so I think these energy costs are starting to build into other things, causing, you know, shipping uh, milk, eggs, food in grocery stores. You know, it just takes a lot of money uh, with the shipping costs. You know, it's interesting you would say that. And I smiled because I hit 62 this year and I got something in the mail saying I could get my social security check. And I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know, Bill. It's almost like if you take it now as a racket, hell, you're going to have to help me out on that. How long did you take yours? How old were you? I started at 62. And and here's oh. here, here was my thought process. I could have waited till later and they give you some more money. So I, I ran the numbers. And I said, if I live to 80, I'm better off taking it early uh-huh. than to wait. And, uh, and so I decided to go ahead and take it early. And, uh, and, you know, it's, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars a month difference, probably. Uh, it's not, it's not a huge amount. Uh, so I just took the money and it, Mrs. Goble gets a check from the federal government on my behalf. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and she lets me know what we can do with it. Oh, there you go. Wait a so I just got in trouble. Like you, a happy man. I, I just happy got in wife, trouble. Happy life. So I want to talk to I, you about that. I'm, wait a minute. Uh, I'm in trouble. Wait, I got to interrupt you. I'm in trouble. Dory and, and I were sitting on the back porch and she she says, I want to talk to you about something. Now, have yours, has your wife ever stopped and said, we need to talk? Yeah, man. That's not good, man. Because I, I started, my mind started racing. Okay, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? What have I done? Trying to get ahead of it. <laughs> and you know you did something, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So she says, uh, why do you call me Mrs. Goldberg? My name's Dory on the podcast. So I just said, Mrs. Goble gets my check. So Dory, I apologize. It's a habit I'm going to break. And Odell will help me do it. And uh, we will call you Dory. Dory, we love you. Dory, we love you. And we are afraid of you. 
<laughs> uh oh, she's here. She's here. She's here. I see her. There you go. And she she's there bigger than me too, so so I got to be careful. Uh, nah, but, nah, she's good. So, Bill, quick question for you. So now the next current event we talked about five dollars of gas. We talked about inflation. We talk about everything that's going on. Uh, let me read something, Bill, that was in the front page of the News and Record, our current newspaper for you and the audience. It says, assault-style assault weapon in Tulsa shooting brought that day, sources says. And it says, an assault-style weapon found at the scene on Wednesday's deadly shooting in an Oklahoma medical building has been bought that day, according to three federal sources briefed on the investigation. A gunman who was later found dead opened fire on the second floor of a medical building on the campus of St. Francis Hospital in Tulsa on Wednesday afternoon, killing four people. Fewer than 10 others were injured, authorities said. The assault's style weapon was an AR-15 style firearm, a source said. A different weapon, a handgun, was purchased on May 29th, a source told CNN. The two firearms, a semi-automatic rifle and a semi-automatic pistol, were both found at the scene, Tulsa Police Captain Richard Muckler told CNN earlier. It was just madness inside, with hundreds of rooms and hundreds of people trying to get out of the building, Mecklenburg told CNN. Bill, when you say... Now, you and I both are hunters. We definitely believe in the Second Amendment, and I still believe in the Second Amendment. Assault-style weapons. We're getting to the point now where the conversation is getting to the style of weapon. It's almost like it's not a AR-15. It's an assault-style weapon. Uh, we're getting away from when we did the shooting in Buffalo, it's like we're not careful. The narrative goes from the individual who did what he did to the type of weapon. When we go to the situation in Valdez, Texas, it's almost like where 21 people died in Buffalo, it was 10 in Texas, it was 21. It's like, okay, who's at fault? The police officers who responded, they didn't do what they need to do. A teacher left the door open, ajar, and we are talking about the weapon, but we're not talking about the individual. And in Tulsa, it's like four dead, 10 injured, but we're talking about the weapon, not the individual. And Tulsa is different for me because we all find our place where we connect. You know, my wife is a vice president in a hospital. So I, everybody goes to the hospital, but you don't go to the hospital expecting that someone's gonna open up with an assault style weapon. Um, everybody in Texas, everybody send their kids on average to elementary schools. You don't think that someone's going to show up at the elementary school with an assault style weapon. Buffalo, New York, uh, everybody goes to the grocery store. You don't think someone's going to show up to the grocery store with an assault style weapon. And in Buffalo on May the 14th, 10 were dead. Uh, a week later in Texas, May the 24th, 21 were dead. And a few days later, on June the 1st, four dead in Oklahoma. What say you, my friend, on assault-style weapons? What's going to happen next week? Wow. Who's going to get shot? Where is it going to happen? You know, here's my viewpoint on this, Odell. I think you got to go down parallel paths. I think there's a combination of weapon and the person. 
And I think we need to harden our, our schools in our institutions uh, to protect them from crazy people. I think we have to red flag people that have weapons that, you know, we can't be afraid as individuals to say, Hey, I got a, I kind of got a crazy neighbor. Okay. And I see him around walking around with guns, you know, don't be afraid to report that and let the, let the professionals step in and see what they, you're just another set of eyes for it. And it's not being um, espionage or anything like that. You and I know when you're in a uncomfortable position with a group of people and you can feel the the crowd getting energized and you said, man, something's about to happen. You know, the, the, when you see something that, that doesn't look right, you need to report it. And, uh, and the same thing with these gun shops, they, if they see somebody come in and they just sniff a little crazy, they need to report that. And, uh, you know, I know they want to sell a gun, but they, they need to report it for the safety of the group. Now, as far as weapons go, um, you know, we, we both have long rifles cause we hunt deer and you could put three shells in it, maybe four at the most. Uh, and then we have, you know, there's handguns and handgun can hold, depending on the magazine, you can do, I think, uh, anywhere from five to maybe eight rounds, 10 rounds. Uh, and so, so those are normal, normal weapons and the, um, the use of, I think the use of high capacity magazines isn't something you use for hunting or even for sport shooting. Uh, so what, what's the reason for it? And then I'm going to answer that in a minute. And then the second thing is assault rifles and you can put AR 15s in there, but there's other ones. Um, what's the purpose of them? Okay. And you know, you don't hunt with them. You don't hunt with them. You, you may go to shoot with them for entertainment, but, and they, and they tend to have high capacity magazines also. So, um, so if you get into the argument, like our lieutenant governor uh, said, he would fight the federal government from taking his AR, and he would shoot anybody that tries to take it away. Uh, I think that's those are his words. I may have misquoted, but you know he was basically saying you can't take my weapon um, because he needs to defend himself if the government goes crazy. Well, if the government goes crazy, your AR doesn't going to mean nothing with the amount of weaponry that you just look at what's going on in Ukraine <laughs> and AR isn't it. It's missiles, rockets, drones, all that stuff. So an AR isn't going to, it may help you a little bit, but it's not going to defend you. And uh, so, so really I, I don't think there's a purpose for an AR. I don't think there's a purpose for a high capacity magazine. So I think banning those I would be in favor of, uh, that still let people have their long rifles, their shotguns and their handguns and all that for the, you know, for hunting and personal protection. I have a concealed carry and I carry it not on me all the time, but there are times I carry it and Dory has one too. And uh, so we're, I'm comfortable with guns. It's interesting. My dad wouldn't let us have a BB gun in the house. His wow. brothers, his brothers, had hunt, they hunted all the time for food. There are guns all over the house. And I remember one time I came home with a BB gun and my dad took it, threw it away. And I don't know what the issue was, but he did not want guns in the house. I never asked him, you know, your, your dad is your dad. He says, no guns. There's no guns. You bopped the side of the head if you ask. You got it. You got it. 
And so I won a deer rifle at a sporting event and that's how I ended up getting into hunting and everything. And, uh, uh, but it, it, you know, I, what I enjoy, um, the, the, the hunting part is just the fellowship, you know, you and I go and have those evenings. We just sit around and talk and sit in a deer stand and watch nature come wake up in the morning, go to bed at night. Uh, but you know, my answer is it's a dual path. It's a personal people. We got to get these crazy people because it's not normal to go out and shoot a bunch of people. That's not, that's not normal. And, and then get, get these weapons that they can use that can cause all this harm. I guess here's a question. ARs are okay. How about a submachine gun, automatic submachine gun? Those are banned. You can't have a gun that goes, you, you got to pull the trigger each time. Well, if we can ban them, then why can't we ban an AR? You know, you, you bring up a good point. Um, want to go back and revisit something you stated all right, our lieutenant governor made national news and our ex-governor uh, was on national news talking about what our lieutenant governor said. Um, our lieutenant governor, um, lieutenant governor Mark Robinson, um, young man, African-American, um, proud of what um, some accomplishments he's made. He doesn't need me to be apologist for him. I'm not gonna be apologist. I went back, I heard about his statements. I went back and looked at the statements that my AR, I'm gonna shoot him in the butt and all that kind of, all the stuff he said. I would think, and I don't know him, I don't know him well, but I respect the fact that his position and how he got his position or how he got started when he did a speech at the city council talking about uh, firearms and everything else. The Greensboro City Council. Yes. Um, I don't think he meant that he would take his AR and shoot someone personally. I think it was more tongue in cheek. However, hopefully one day we get him on our show and he can explain. But I think all in all, him and I may have different political perspectives and points of views. However, I don't think he was, and I know you wasn't saying this, I don't think he was advocating that he would shoot or kill a government official. I don't think so. But it's, you know, one thing about a narrative, once you put it out there, it gets spun so many different ways, so many different ways. And I don't think he's doubled down on that statement again. I think he made the statement. He stands by the statement, but he didn't double down on the statement. But again, I don't know him that well, but someone who believes that people of color need to have some in the Republican Party and some in the Democratic Party. I think that Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson didn't, the words might then come out right or it might've came out right, but I don't think he meant he would be killing government officials if they came to try to take his gun. And maybe he did, I don't know. But yeah, I'm not apologizing for him, Bill. Uh, he doesn't need a good looking, slim and trim. Did I tell you, Bill, I'm down 34.4 pounds. Uh, good looking, slim and trim. Um, Black Democrat uh, apologized on speaking on his half, on his behalf, who is a large African-American male who's a hardcore Republican. But at the same time, the common ground there is that we both are Black males trying to make a difference. And he's making a difference. And I believe I'm making a difference. Yeah. Let's say I, you, my friend. Well, I think you're right. I don't think he meant that he's going to shoot somebody, but that's the way it was spun. Uh, and 
you know, part of it is he, he wants to run for governor, so he has to keep himself top of mind in news. And the more what, politicians, not all politicians, but, you know, some politicians uh, will say sensational things to get themselves in the news because now, news doesn't. I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah. And, you know, um, you can look at just some of the politicians that have done that recently. And uh, so and then there's a, a large percentage that are quiet and get things done, kind of like Mark Walker. You know, yeah. And uh, yeah. so, you know, it, it, I think he's into sensational stuff. So but, you know, it's a hot topic. It's a real hot topic. And in uh, particularly now with all the shootings, um, you know, I guess the you know, the ARs give a crazy person the opportunity to do a lot of damage. Those bullets are meant to kill. I mean, big time. They, they're bad bullets. Uh, and uh, so they're, they're meant to kill. Um, and so I think having it in the hands of a crazy person, I don't think anybody in America wants that. Uh, that yeah, that makes sense. And Bill, again, if our lieutenant governor runs for governor, he will be running as a Republican, I'm sure. Will you vote for him? Uh, um, I don't know yet. I uh, uh, I've got it right now. I guess see who's going to who's running against him. I think it's Josh Stein is looking at running against him, but I don't know if I'd vote for him um, because if if he picks up the Trump radical idea that you know the election was rigged and all that rubbish and January sixth wasn't a big deal, uh, then I won't vote for him because I, I disagree with that. So he he hasn't come out and said things. I've sat next to him at events. Uh, sat across the table, had lunch with him, uh, spoken to him and his wife, delightful people. Wonderful. Yeah. People. Yeah. 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 I was with a guy last night and, uh, he was on our show, Paul Manger, and he was talking about when he was 21 years old, he had a meeting with Jesse Helms and they uh-huh. were, they were like polar opposites. And, uh, and he said, uh, one of the things that he mentioned, he says, you know, Dell says it's hard to hate in person. And he up said, close. You know, it's hard to hate up close, up close. Yeah. He said, so Jesse Helms was this ultra conservative guy. I mean, just really conservative. And Paul was a college kid that was liberal and his fraternity sent them there to talk about something they needed in high point. And so he was chosen. He went in and he gets there and he said, the first thing that's there's this big sign in Jesse Helms office in Raleigh saying, welcome, Mr. Mangard. And he goes, wow, I'm 21 years old. And the senator has a welcome sign for me, Mr. Manger. And then uh, he said, I sat down with him on a couch. And, you know, I'm nervous because I had a script I was supposed to tell. You know what Jesse Helms did? He sat wow. down next to him on the couch and put his arm around him. Wow. And he said, young man, what can I do to help the city of High Point in your fraternity? You know what? Charming politician. politician. Here's, here's a story. It's an interesting story. He's, he was there to talk about uh, Jesse Helms was going to cut out lunch food for kids. And he was going there to say, can you do it in short steps so we can adjust to it and find other funding? And he put his arm around him and he says, young man, he says, uh, you ever have a coon dog? <laughs> a what? A coon dog? Coon dog, a hunting dog. Coon dog. I know what it is. I'm from yeah. South Carolina. I know exactly yeah, okay. what it is. He says, now you got a coon dog and you're going to cut its tail off. Do you do it a little bit at a time? You just do it. Mm. 
He says, that's how I feel about that much. We got to do it. You know, it's, it's interesting. Growing up in the South, and you didn't grow up in the South, but Southerners, we have a way with expressions to drive points home. It's like, have you ever had a coon dog? I mean, come on. People would even know what a coon dog is. And you're going <laughs> to yeah. cut the tail off. This is how you do it. And all this kind of yeah, coon stuff. dog is those things you get at Coney Island, you know, in a bun. Right. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. That's it. You know what I will say, though, back to the lieutenant governor who is drawing all kind of attention. And, you know, he has a book coming out. And from what I hear, I haven't read yet. It's an amazing book on his story. He has an amazing story. He's been through a lot. Um, and he has the right to choose whatever path he would like to choose and run the race. Uh, one thing I would say to the lieutenant governor, if I could, uh, be healthy, my friend, be healthy. And I'm not saying that because only because Odell is trying to get healthy, but be healthy because it's a lot of passion. It's a lot of moving. He's doing a lot of shaking. He's doing a lot of stuff. But get healthy so that you can enjoy the fruits of your labor, whatever way it goes. Because one thing about our health bill, our health will revisit us. And we don't want it to revisit us at the wrong time. I remember looking at TV, the news, and it's, I think the gentleman out of Philadelphia who's running uh, had a stroke and everything else. And I'm not trying to put that on the Lieutenant Governor, everything else. But all I'm saying is to, from one black man to other, take care of yourself. Maybe that's what I should say. Take care of yourself and your health because you have a beautiful family. Take care of yourself, my friend. So Lieutenant Governor, as I can say anything, take care of your health, take care of yourself, my friend. Take care of yourself. That's good advice. That's excellent advice. The uh, hey, the uh, I want to talk to you about Ukraine. Ukraine. Yeah, I want to talk. To I, you about I thought Ukraine. Russia said that was going to be over in two days, three yeah. days, four yeah. days, five days. We're sending over some long-range missiles uh, launchers. I think go oh, forty-five miles. Uh, still not far enough to get into Russia. Uh, and part of it is because you know the Russian generals that are in charge now have figured out. Hey, they just got to be out of range of either the drones or the the uh, artillery that we gave them. And so they just get far enough out of range so we can't, they, Ukraines can't hit them. And they just keep lobbing stuff at the Ukraines and push them back, push them back and take and they're, and they're picking up, slowly picking up territory. So they hope by giving them these longer range missiles, they'll be able to push the Russians back further. And uh, I don't know where this is going to end up. I, I think, you know, first off, I think it's horrible that they invaded Ukraine. Maybe it was the wrong thing. I think that Europe has to get off of Russian energy uh, and stop stop supporting this thing. Uh, and that's a tough thing to do. Uh, and I think that uh, Ukraine needs to be uh, brought into the uh, European Union and uh, NATO at some point uh, as well. Uh, but the, uh, I think they're going to end up stopping the fighting and I think, uh, Russia will just keep the land that they've occupied. Uh, I know that's a terrible thing for the Ukrainians. I, I would like the Ukrainians to push them all the way out of Ukraine and keep, go back to the land boundaries and rebuild the country. Um, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I think this thing's going to keep going until if Putin is sick and dies, which, you know, people are saying he's sick. Eh, it may change the complexion, but you don't know who's going to take his place. He could be a worse guy. Well, think about this, Bill. Remember the day, 
I don't know, I don't know how many years ago, this famous picture of Putin driving around, I mean, riding on a horse, bare chested. Kind of like you, kind of like you, like you, like you when we go to London and Paris. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Let me tell you the thing about losing weight. Losing a lot of weight, it 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 it, it kind of droops and drops off you. <laughs> so you have body now. Your chest is not where it used to be. Up is down. So I got to resculpture my chest and my stomach where it was like a balloon. Now it's kind of flat. But now you know I have that little piece hanging down yeah. on the stomach. So I have to resculpture that. So when we go to Paris, I will not be riding around on a horse, bare chested, like I'm macho, macho man. So let me dispel that that myth, okay. that rumor right now. However, when you think about Ukraine, think about the people, my understanding that Russia took and took to Russia, right? Those mm-hmm. are people. And secondly, how about all the people who were murdered? Those are people. So whether they keep the land or give the land back, whatever they negotiate, Who's going to renegotiate those lives? Yeah. Who's responsible for the lives that was killed? One would call war crimes. How's all that going to work out? And the reparations. I know in America, when we talk reparations, everybody have a fit because they think we talk about slavery, which I do believe in reparations. But I bet reparations are paid down the line somewhere. Who's going to pay Ukrainians for what was happening to them as a people, because a lot of bad things happen. And we've talked to one of our previous shows about um, children who go through trauma. What's it called again, Bill? ACEs, acute childhood. Yeah. So talk about ACEs. And I know you have a big, we have a big event coming along, but talk about ACEs to all these children, Bill, all these children who've seen this. Can you explain everyone what ACEs mean and how do you think it affects the children of Ukraine? And the reason why I ask about the children, because the children are the future. Yeah. Well, they, a lot of the children left with their mothers, which was a smart thing. Uh, millions, millions. I think they, the last time there's 40 million people in Ukraine and probably 5 million people left, maybe more. And most of them were women and children because men that were fighting age, they wouldn't leave. They would let them leave. So that was, I think, uh, from teenage years sometime to maybe 60. So, um, and then if people wanted to volunteer. So a lot of these kids, the trauma for them is a childhood experience is leaving their home, leaving all their things, leaving all their friends. Uh, you know, kids and women, men to some extent, uh, need relationships to, to, yeah. to, to nest, if you will. And uh, when you rip those apart, like it has been in Ukraine and the people, the young people that stayed and saw their family members killed and their homes destroyed, that's that's an acute childhood experience that's going to stay with them their whole life. And uh, there are going to be long-term lasting effects on some of this stuff. Uh, you know, uh, many times when people come back from wars, they they can't cope with it. They have post-traumatic stress. And, uh, and, and it causes all kinds of things. It causes physical ailments, it, alcoholism, drug abuse, uh, physical abuse. I mean, just it's difficult for sometimes people to cope with it. Um, so I think we're going to see some of that in these, these families, but I, I also feel there's a lot of support groups that have come from NGOs around the world, not just United States, but Israel and other places uh, mm-hmm. that are in there recognizing that these people need support. And I was talking to uh, Scott, was it Scott telling us or was it uh, no, it was uh, Rabbi, uh, Andy, 
he told us when he got there, people, when they arrive, if they need to make a phone call, there's a cell phone area. If they need food, there's a place. If they need medical attention, there's a, and so they had all these stations and then you were only allowed to be there 48 hours at the most, their place to sleep because they wanted to relocate you into a more stable environment. And so I think that they've put together the Polish people and the Romanian people and the other people around Hungary has done a great job. Now, the ones that have stayed and, uh, you know, they have, uh, CNN does a lot of news on these young kids. Uh, they're going to have issues. Uh, I totally get it. Uh, and as far as payment back, listen, Russia's not going to rebuild those towns. They destroyed them and they're going to leave them destroyed. And, uh, but if we take it back, Americans will do like we always do. We we'll support them and we'll rebuild you, uh, uh, Ukraine and, uh, bigger and better. But the, uh, you know, it is the, one of the bread baskets of the world. Uh, and, um, I was listening to a news report. They've got tons and tons of wheat and other grain that they've harvested and they have no place to store it. So the United States is and other countries are sending down containers for them to put it in. And they're going to take it across land because the port's closed because the Russians control the port. So they're going to take it across land to get it back. But see, the problem is the farmers aren't replanting. So this is a harvest. So, but that gives us a year to increase United States production and Brazil and other places that can make, so we don't keep feeding the world. But, you know, the, the, I think the thing that's going to have to happen is Putin's going to have to go Uh, either internally or he's going to die. You know, I don't know if they're telling us he's sick because the wishful thinking, but uh, I think there's a lot of noise that comes out on that. And uh, sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not. You know, we're not in the know. <laughs> Bill, when Putin says if anybody else intervenes, then that means war, too. Remember from the very beginning? So yep. it's almost yep. like you in school and you seen the bully beating up the kid who, who hasn't done anything. And it's like, if you dare do something, then we're going to jump on you, too. I thank God for United States and other people who said we're going to do something. We're going to help. We're going to help what's going on right now. And now Putin is like, well, if you help even more, we're going to do this, this, this. So just thank God for America having the wherewithal to say, I know you threatened us. I get that. But we're not going to just stand idly by and allow you to beat this kid to death because the kid didn't do anything. And you're beating him because you're trying to take his lunch money. Well, you're right. And, you know, the thing that amazes me is how how he's been able to brainwash the Russian people. The reason that they're going after Ukraine is to go after Nazis and to free Ukraine from the Nazis. I read a book when we went to Normandy, somebody told me I should read this book uh, called uh, D-Day from the German perspective. And it was about German soldiers that were in the bunkers and in those uh, areas when D-Day came. And one of the things they talked about, they interviewed him about 10 years later, and one of the things they talked to the people about, which was interesting, they said, why were you fighting? What was the cause? That He said, we were told that we had to fight the Russians because they were going to come in and take our women and take our possessions. Always about the women. It's always yeah. about. Yeah. 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 And, that, and that the Americans and the Jews were in cahoots with the Russians to do that. And they were supporting them in, in the English, of course, they were supporting them so that Russia could take over all of Europe 
And that's what they were fighting for, to keep the Russians out. Now I find it interesting that the Russians are saying that it's Nazis and and Ukrainian president is is Jewish. (laughs) But I think they underestimated his leadership and his bravery. We don't use that term bravery a lot these days, but I thought that Putin probably looked at himself and looked at the president of Ukraine and said, I ride around on a horse with my bare chest. This guy is a comedian. comedian. Yeah. He's telling jokes. He, you know, he's he, and the military's probably second rate. And we could, you know, when I saw that 40 mile long picture of Russian vehicles going into Ukraine uh-huh. <clears throat> in military terms, those are uh, that's a target rich scenario. Because if you send in a, uh, air, a Warhog gun, uh, airplane, it's a straight line shot to, to, to take out. That's what they happened in Iraq. All the supply trucks that were trying to flee the shooting in the military trucks were all lined up on one freeway. So you kind of think about, you know, 40 miles on Interstate 95. Right. That's a long way. And it doesn't take a lot of, a lot of airplanes to take stuff out like that. But the Ukrainians did it different. They didn't have the airplanes. So what they did is they took the uh, the shoulder sh- shot Stinger missiles. And I think that's what they were called and and snuck in the woods and started picking them off. And what well, you do is you pick off the front one and you pick off the back ones and the rest of them can't turn around and leave. Wow. That makes sense. Say that again, Bill. Well, you, when you get in a situation like that, you pick off the front ones and the pick off the back ones and you block the roads. They, they, they blew up bridges so they couldn't go forward and they blew up bridges behind them so they couldn't get back. So they were just sitting ducks. Well, you know, when you fight with someone in their home turf, it makes a big difference. So Bill, as we turn the corner toward close of current events, America, America, the land that we love, what's, where do you think we're gonna end up in America? We have a midterm election coming up and then we have a presidential election. What do you think is gonna happen, my friend? Well, dust off your crystal ball. Yeah, you know, it's it's with these current events we have. I think there's a lot of people reconsidering their positions, whatever they were, Democrat or Republican. You know, there's a lot of things on the table. These mass murders, gun control, inflation, the abortion issue. I mean, there's just a ton of things. So I think people five dollar gas. Five dollar gas. Five dollar gas. I think when these politicians start running, what are they going to say? You know, it's interesting. Uh, Beasley, who's running against Bud for the Senate, she ran. She was. She didn't have anybody running against her in the primary. Uh, and Bud, there were really th- probably six people, but three that were really tough. Uh, so there's a lot of ugliness between the the Republicans. But she had nobody against her. So you know, her ads were all about the future. Right. Washington's broke. Send me there to help fix it. You know, it was the positive message as opposed to this politician did this and that politician did that. And, and you know, all these packs that come up and start trying to smear everybody making and, you know, putting a little spin on stuff. So I think what's going to happen is I think the American people are going to listen to a lot of rhetoric. And uh, I trust the American people. I really do. Uh, they will do the right thing. Uh, and sometimes they don't do it right away. It takes time uh, for people to say, wow, that was that was a mistake. I'm not going to do that again. Uh, but uh, I think you're going to see the American people do the right thing. And I, I think 
hopefully we'll get out of the stalemate in politics in DC. You know, like our state house and governor are now working together. They're from different parties. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's why uh, both of them, I, I heard they both said the same thing to their constituents. We could have fought to the death and we'd got nothing or we could compromise on some things and get some stuff done. And we decided to compromise on things to get stuff done. Well, you know, I remember years ago when I was talking about common ground to people, people who knew and loved me would criticize me and said, you're talking compromise, you're talking compromise, compromise. And I said, no, common ground is not compromise. It's two totally different things. But at the same time, then I would ask the question, what's wrong with compromising to get something done? What's wrong with working together to get something done? And it's like all or nothing. Well, sometimes when it's all or nothing, you end up with nothing. Do you think, hey, do you think it's going to be another um, Donald Trump, um, Joe Biden for president? That's a waste. You know, if Trump is healthy, I think he'll run. I don't know about Biden. He's he's up there in age. But uh, uh, DeSantis is in the wings for the Republicans. People are talking about him. Uh, there may be a dark horse on each side that hasn't come out. Uh, so I don't know. That's that's going to be interesting. Uh, so we'll see. Well, buddy, we're at the well, end of this. We're at the end of this time. Well, you know, when you start talking about current events, current events changes lives. So, Bill, let's continue to stand in the gap. And audience, thank you so much for continuing to support what we're doing and having these tough conversations. Bill, love you, my brother. Until we meet again. Yes, brother. Take care. Bye-bye. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, executive producer. Jeremy Powell, creative director. Jacob Sutherland, director. All rights reserved. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.